Welcome to week two of Love is Blind. Uh, did Pastor Robert jack y'all up last week? <laughs> I know he did for me, okay? My marriage was better this week, okay? Based on all the stuff Pastor Robert said last week. And um, uh, I'm super excited to get to preach to y'all uh, today. For those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Manny Arango. If you're here for the first time or if you're new to our church, maybe you haven't heard me, uh, I get to preach from time to time. Uh, this is my home church. Me and my wife live in Dallas, and this is our home, and so I'm super excited. Uh, Pastor Robert said something last week that I, I, I'm going to repeat. He said he is not a relationship expert, and I'm going to go, yep, I am also not a relationship expert. Uh, but the Bible is a relationship expert, and God is a relationship expert, and the Holy Ghost is a relationship expert. Actually, there's a cultural narrative that wants to tell you that the Bible is antiquated, that the Bible is old school, that the Bible is old-fashioned, that the Bible is not relevant for the modern life that me and you deal with. But how many people know culture may change, but humans don't change. Sin doesn't change. Human nature doesn't change. And so if you've never seen the Bible as something that can be directly applicable to you, let me help you, okay? Uh, because if you got baby mama drama, there's a dude in the Bible named Jacob with four baby mamas, okay? Rachel, Leah, Bilhah, and Zilpah, okay? Uh, if your relationship or your marriage has fallen on hard times, nothing puts stress on a marriage like hard times. Job and his wife got some advice for you. If you've dealt with sexual trauma or abuse. Amnon and Tamar is the story that you need to read. If you have had so many sexual partners that you're desensitized to sex, then Solomon is a person who you can relate to because my man had a hundred wives and over a hundred concubines, okay? Uh, so Jesus is, God's got a whole lot of grace, okay? Uh, I don't know if you realize this, uh, but if you're battling with infertility, Abraham and Sarah, their story is in the Bible. I don't care if you single for a season. Uh, I don't care if you single for your life. There are characters in the Bible that you can relate to. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about relationships. The Bible is very, very, very uh, applicable for our relationships. And so I get to give you week two. And, and there are so many places we could go. Come on. If you're the type of Christian who you saved, uh, but you are attracted to unsaved people, then Samson <laughs> is the person you can probably relate to, okay? If relationships continue to be an idol in your life, then Ahab and Jezebel is a story that, that, that is right there for in home. Okay, uh, the, Bible, the Bible is like very, very helpful for the modern current status of our relationships. So uh, I want to give you week two, um, and, and I'm going to announce my title after I tell you this story. I, I was at my house, and uh, I've turned my house, and I've turned my garage, at least, into a studio. And so uh, we had to film a course, and so this videographer named Elisha came to the crib, okay? And he came to, to my studio, and we're recording this course, and I'm standing there waiting to record the course, and, um, and he swore up and down that, that the lights were 
wrong and that the camera settings were wrong. And he kept saying stuff like the temperature on these lights are weird. Like everything looks yellow and everything looks orange. And I'm looking at the lights and I'm thinking to myself, those lights look white to me. I have no idea what this man is talking about. For 20 minutes, my man went up a ladder, fixed the lights, got down off the ladder, got on another ladder, got to the other lights, tried to fix the lights, okay? He is messing around with these lights for like 15 minutes. Then he gets into the camera settings and he's like punching stuff on the camera. And I'm like, can we start though? Like, bro, I got stuff to do, okay? And, and he swore up and down that it didn't look right. The cameras don't look right. The lights don't look right. And I, I want to show you this picture because then Elisha realized he had on orange sunglasses for 20 whole minutes. I couldn't believe it. I, I was so, a sermon illustration just walked straight into my life, okay? I was like, people ain't gonna believe this. I have to take a picture with this man. People are not going to believe me. This man thought that the cameras were the problem. He thought that the lights were the problem. He thought that the settings were the problem. He said that I had an orange tint on my face when he looked through the viewfinder on the camera. And the issue was not the camera. The issue was not the lights. The issue was not the room. The problem was him. But ain't it crazy how most of us can go through life not realizing that there is a filter in the way we are seeing other people that there is a filter on the way that we are seeing relationships, that there's a filter on the way that we're seeing God, that there's a filter on the way that we read the Bible. And I want to talk to you about a couple of filters, okay? My sermon title today is hashtag no filter, okay? Hashtag no filter. Because filters aren't just things that change the way you look. Filters are the thing that change the way that everything you're looking at looks. No filter. Can, can we get into the first filter? Can we get into the first filter? That's 18 of y'all, okay. Can we get into the first filter? Yes. Let's get into this first filter. Here we go. I think a lot of us have this filter, uh, and, and, and I'm gonna put on my filter glasses. Here we go, there we go. Everybody gold. <laughs> because for a lot of us, this is how we're looking at people. Potential partners, people that we're dating, people who we're thinking about being in a relationship with. This is called the insecurity filter. That insecurity doesn't only manipulate how I see myself, but insecurity makes me unable to see other people the right way. I, I want to give you a story. Can I, can I be vulnerable? That was 19 of y'all. Okay, come on, come on, second service. Can I be vulnerable? There we go. Uh, I, I'm going to be vulnerable with y'all. And um, I almost did not marry my wife almost didn't marry my wife. We dated a couple of times, and in 2013, I moved from me and my wife's hometown in Boston, and I moved to North Carolina. Well, I had a pastor in North Carolina who went back up to Boston, and he had never met this girl that I had dated a couple of times, okay? But he had finally met Tia. He met my wife, who at that point was just my ex-girlfriend. And when he met her, he realized that she was pretty much perfect in every way. He realized this woman is smart, she is educated, she is saved, and she likes Manny. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> this woman is beautiful. She's attractive. She loves God. She was on the worship team, okay? So he saw Tia, he met Tia, and then he came back to North Carolina, and, and he sat down with me. His first words were, Manny, are you stupid? <laughs> to which the only answer to that is, I guess yes, you know, <laughs> like, sure. And he said, tell me what you don't like about Tia. I, I'll never forget this. He said, tell me what you don't like about Tia. And I said these words. You promise I can be vulnerable? Yes. I said these words. I don't like that she's taller than me. I'm five, five and a half. <laughs> I don't like that she's taller than me. My pastor looked me right in my face and said, you didn't tell me what you don't like about her. You just told me what you don't like about you. Manny, let me tell you the truth. If you marry somebody who's 4'10", guess what, bro? You still 5'5 five, five and a half. If you marry somebody who's 6'2", guess what, bro? You still 5'5 five, five and a half. Stop basing who you're going to be in relationship with based on your insecurities. You are not telling me anything about her. You are telling me that you don't like you. And since you don't like yourself, you have now rejected somebody who would be a phenomenal partner to you. And today I am blessed to be with a woman who is taller than me. She wears heels. I'm like, let's go, girl. Supermodels is tall. I'm free. And I got free from being insecure. But as long as I have an insecurity filter, the filter doesn't just change what I see in the mirror. It manipulates how I see everybody else. Because I'm going to assume that you're not going to like me. That you're not going to accept me. And now I'm going to be emotionally needy and I need you to validate me. And I need you to compliment me. And for a lot of us, your insecurities are killing your relationships. You're canceling yourself out of relationships that you could absolutely be in, but your insecurities won't let you be happy. Can I help you with insecurities? Can I help you? Here we go. That was 25 of y'all. Here we go. Our culture, the secular culture that we live in, says that in order to get rid of your insecurities, you need to get confident. You know what I'm saying? You need to find things you love about yourself. You need to come up with a list of affirmations of things you like about yourself. That's awesome. That's lovely. But that's just not biblical. <laughs> you don't get rid of insecurities by figuring out what you think about yourself. I'll give you a great example, okay? Moses is insecure. Moses is super insecure. God rolls up on Moses and says, hey, bro, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and what you're going to say is let my people go. Moses five times says to God, nah, <laughs> you got the wrong one, dude. <laughs> I can't do this. I have a stutter. I don't, I, nope, nah, mm-mm. Get Aaron to do it. Get somebody else to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, Moses is riddled with insecurity. He doesn't believe in himself. He doesn't believe in his voice. And if Moses was our friend, if we had a relationship with Moses, and you was trying to give Moses a pep talk, come on, what would you say? You would, Moses, your stutter ain't that bad. I mean, you stutter, but your personality is great, you know? At least you handsome, you know, you would tell Moses all these things about Moses. 
But that's not what God does. Let me tell you exactly what God says to Moses to help him with his insecurities. Here's what God says. I am that I am. Moses, I'm not here to tell you anything about you. I'm here to tell you about me. I know you have a stutter, but I am that I am. I know you're broken, but I am that I am. I know you're short, but I am that I am. I don't find the answer for my insecurity by believing in me. I find the answer for my insecurity by believing in the God who made me and fashioned me and formed me in my mother's womb. This is not the gospel of self-help, baby. This is the gospel of Jesus. Jesus says, you don't have a lot to give, but I have a lot to give. You don't offer me a whole lot in this relationship, but I still sacrificed for you and died for you. You don't make a big deal of yourself to overcome your insecurities. You make a big deal about God to overcome your insecurities. What is it that makes me not insecure when I finally learn I'm a son of God? I'm a daughter of the most high God. I'm made in God's image. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, all of those things are in relationship to God. So when I remove God, of course I'm going to be insecure. The moment I remove God from who I am as a person, now I've got to build my identity on me. I've got to build my identity on my gifts, on my talent. Can we go a little deeper? Because arrogance and low self-esteem are both rooted in pride. Uh-oh, come on, I'm going to help you, okay? The person, the person who is arrogant, that person believes that their strengths and their gifts and their talents and all the things they like about themselves, they believe that those things are the X factor, that that's the thing that gets them approved. That person is obsessed with themselves. But the person who struggles with low self-esteem is just as obsessed with themselves. They're just obsessed with their weaknesses and their frailties and their failures. And so God says the person who's arrogant and the person who's got low self-esteem are both rooted in pride because pride is a focus on self. At some point, you're going to have to realize I don't have the answers. I don't have the solutions. I cannot fix my own insecurity, but I can receive identity from God and I can begin to believe believe what he says about me if he says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made I believe what he says if he if he says I'm the head and not the tail I believe what he says if he says that I'm the lender not the borrower I believe what he says if he says I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength I believe what he says if he says that greater is he that is in me than he that was in the world I believe what God says because my faith is in him here we go let's keep moving let's keep moving I got 18 minutes Woo! is this helpful I want you to ask yourself this question how many relationships that I've been in have been ruined because of my own insecurities and I've been looking for another person to make me secure when it is only God who can make me secure. I've been looking, I've had God-like expectations of humans. That is idolatry. 
Uh-oh, uh-oh. For a lot of us, this is why we can't forgive. Uh-oh. You can't forgive because you have forgotten that your parents are human. You have forgotten that that pastor who hurt you at that last church is human. You have godlike expectations for human beings. And humans are going to disappoint. Humans are going to let you down. But I can't put my security in people. I've got to put my security in a God who knows me, loves me, has chosen me, has graced me, has, has a purpose for my life. I need a good amen in church. Okay, second filter, second filter, second filter. Okay, we got 17 minutes, 12 seconds. Okay, Jesus. Okay, second filter. The distrust filter. The distrust filter. See, see. The, the distrust filter is at the root of Genesis chapter 3. G give me Genesis chapter 3 real quick. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start right at the top, okay? Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Because the enemy will always question what God said to you. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay, I want you to remember that that's what Satan says. Any tree? Okay, here we go. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Um, give me the next verse. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Oh, I wish I could go into this. The, she, the serpent doesn't lie, but he deceives. See, there's a difference between lying and deception. I don't know if you, you remember there's this dude who, like, dresses up like Clay Thompson. Anybody know? There's this dude, like, literally, he snuck, he has snuck in, like, last year when the Warriors were in, were in the finals. Like, this man got onto the court. And afterwards, he got banned from Oracle Arena, okay, because he puts on a jersey. The dude is real light-skinned. He looks like Clay Thompson, you know what I'm saying, a little bit. And, and, and guess what? Afterwards, they interviewed him, and he said, I never lied. I never said to anyone that I was Clay Thompson. And I would say to this person, you didn't lie, but you deceived. See, deception is even more powerful than a lie. And the enemy always wants to deceive. And he's going to deceive you so that you don't trust God. Here we go. What does he say? You won't die for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is the enemy saying? He's saying you can't trust God. God's holding out on you. God knows that the tree is good and he doesn't want you to have it. Don't act like that's not a lot of our, percept our, our perspectives on relationships. No, 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 before I get ahead of myself, I want to show you how this story starts in Genesis chapter 2. Here we go. Because a lot of us, we don't trust what God has to say about relationships. We don't trust. We think that if we were to actually trust God when it comes to relationships, we're going to be lonely. That God's a killjoy. That if you were to trust God, God wants you to be a missionary in Africa. He wants you to join a nunnery. He just don't want you to have no fun, okay? 
And you have to start to ask the question, who told you God was like that? Who told you God was petty? Who told you God was legalistic? Church or the Bible? Who told you God was like that? Because the God I know is not like that. Let's see how this starts. Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Oh, I like this. To work it and take care of it. Because a good dude is strong enough to work something, but gentle enough to take care of it. Verse 16. And the Lord God, come on, say that word with me. And the Lord God commanded. Here we go. The man. Here's the commandment. You are free. You are free. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. I love that it starts with, you are free. Because the world wants to tell us that real freedom is being able to do whatever you want to do. But the Bible is pretty clear that I'm not free to smoke, I'm free from the need to smoke. I'm not free to have sex with anyone I want to. I'm free from having to have sex with anybody. I'm not free to watch pornography. I'm free from the addiction of pornography. I'm not free to. I'm free from. Because discipline is freedom. Restraint is freedom. A train is most free when it's on the tracks. Which means God's definition of marriage is the definition that leads to freedom. God's definition of sex is the definition that leads to freedom. And the world wants to tell you, if anybody wants to tell you what you can't do and what you shouldn't do, they don't want you to be free. And we say, no, 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 no. We understand the nature of sin. That at first you start playing with sin, but eventually sin starts playing with you. That... Doing things that are sinful do not lead to freedom. I'm not free to partake in sin. I'm free from the power of sin. Here we go. Can we go a little deeper? This means that all disobedience is rooted in distrust. You don't have a disobedience issue. You have a distrust issue. And I want us to begin to say, you know what, God? What you have to say about marriage and love and relationships and identity, what you've got to say about this stuff, I may not agree with it, but I'll trust you. I'm, it may make me feel uncomfortable, but I'm going to trust you. It may, it, may, it may go against all of the cultural narratives that I've bought into, but I'm going to trust you. Here we go. Can we, go, can we do a third one? I got five. We're going to see how many we're going to get through, okay? Here we go. Uh, Third, the shame filter. Shame filter. Because people who are operating with shame will always detest vulnerability. Here we go. Uh, God makes Adam and Eve, and, and the end of chapter two says that they are naked and unashamed. That's the goal. That is the goal for a relationship, is naked and unashamed. I remember uh, the first time I felt some shame. 
in me and my wife's relationship, okay? First time I felt some shame, uh-huh. Uh, she was visiting my mom's house, and my mom, well, I was, I was still living with my parents, and, uh, and uh, my, my wife, I'd moved to North Carolina. My mom, my, my wife went to my mom's house uh, in Boston, and, uh, and some overdraft notices. They got mailed to my mom's house, because, you know, I didn't know how to manage my money. And uh, my wife was like, what's this? And my wife was like, we are about to share bank logins. Let's go. And I remember having to pull up my account. <laughs> Listen, because intimacy has no secrets. If you have to keep secrets from somebody, then that is not someone who you are mature enough to be in an intimate relationship with. Here we go. My wife was like, had like a, like a minimum wage paying job and she opened up her bank account and there was like $15,000 in there. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I had like a whole like $40,000 a year job, you know what I'm saying? And I had like negative $3 in my account. I was just swiping in faith, you know? <laughs> Anytime I had to go somewhere, I just swipe and just close my eyes, like, approved? Oh, thank God. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> We've lived to see another day. <laughs> if you're married in the room, we don't do secrets. Because the moment that Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they'd always been naked. But now their nakedness is a source of shame for them. And get this. God comes down. And God is like, Adam! Notice it's Adam. Because I left you in charge, bro. Adam, where are you? We hid because we were naked. Ah. <sighs> Holy Ghost, help me. Sin is inevitable. We are all going to fall short. At some point, you are going to mess up. I mess up. We mess up daily. All the real Christians said amen. amen. All the Pharisees can leave, okay? <laughs> Sin is going to be a constant battle. There's a process of sanctification that God has me on, but every day I'm going to lose. I, 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 I do lose my temper. <laughs> say stuff I shouldn't say, think thoughts I shouldn't think. Sin is inevitable. Shame is not. If you think God is speaking out saying, where are you to catch you? Then you'll always hide. But God comes down and he's not there to catch Adam and Eve. He's there to cover Adam and Eve. He is the one who makes the first sacrifice. And while they are covering themselves with fig leaves that don't have the power to take away their sin, God wants to cover them with the skins of an animal because it is only by the blood that you can have the remission of sin. If you think that God is a killjoy, if you think that God is evil, if you think that God is petty, if you think that God is here to catch you, you'll always run and hide. We all fall short. 
Your automatic response when falling short should be, I'm going to run to God. I'm going to run to him. I'm going to be vulnerable again. Because <laughs> pre-marriage, I had a friend who's five years older than me. He's my best friend. His name is Brian Bullock. And um, I was unmarried at the time. He was married. He had been married for, I think, maybe like five years or something like that. Okay. So he was married. And I remember saying to Brian, I said, hey, I've got to overcome uh, my uh, proclivity, my addiction to watching pornography because I don't want to bring this into marriage because marriage is not a solution for lust. Marriage only magnifies lust. Marriage is like money. Can I teach? Yes. Marriage is like money. Let's just say, let's just say you want to do some sin, but you was broke. Let you hit the lottery. And now you are empowered to do the sin that was always in your heart. Because money magnifies all your idols. Marriage does not solve your lust problem. Marriage actually magnifies insecurities, shame, lust. So if you think I'm going to get married because it's going to fix all my lust problems, let me help you. You want to get whole and healed first so that you can bring a whole healed person into a relationship. And so I said to my friend Brian, I was like, hey, man, you know, dude, pornography is, is a thorn in my flesh. I got to get free. And he said, hey, here's what I want you to do. Every single time you slip up and watch pornography, just call me. Okay, that's all I need you to do. And so the first time I slip up, I mess up, I, I call Brian. I'm like, hey, man. Uh, <sighs> you know. <laughs> this is the call, you know. <laughs> Brian says these words. All right, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I was like, that's not what I was expecting you to say, okay? <laughs> Next time, call Brian, and he says, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Next time, I call Brian, and he says, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm like, clearly not, bro. <laughs> clearly not, you know? <laughs> and I said, why do you keep saying that? Every time I fail, every time I make a mistake. And he said, because every time you confess, I have to confess. When you confess what you did wrong, I'm going to confess who you are. When you confess your sin, I'm going to confess your identity. When you confess your issue, I'm going to confess who God has already made you to be. Because shame doesn't change people. Shaming people doesn't transform people. Grace creates the space for people to change. And guess what I got? free not because I felt ashamed but because I took the fig leaves off and I had enough trust in someone to see me at my weakest and my most vulnerable if you keep secrets it means you're operating in a framework of shame you clear your web browser because you're full of shame and you want to hide. You keep Amazon packages in the car. Because <laughs> you're full of shame. 
Are you trying to hide? <laughs> I want to challenge you. Now, I do not think that if you're going out on a first date with somebody, you need to tell them all of your secrets. That would be socially awkward and weird. But if you're engaged, oh, we need to start. We need to start seeing everything. Because you can't trick me into being in a relationship with you by keeping secrets. Give me the right to choose you even when I know the worst thing about you. You've got to be courageous and brave enough to be honest. And the first person you need to be honest with is yourself. Yourself. Okay, here we go. That was a shame filter. Woo! Let's see. Let's see. Uh, I think we can do one more. We can do one more. <laughs> Y'all like, let's go. No, dude, you better not stop. <laughs> you better not leave us on no cliffhanger. The last service only got three, okay? So, uh, here we go, here we go. Are you ready? Yes. The trauma filter. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> A trauma filter. Trauma filter. Let's, let's think about this. Here we go. The only traumatic thing Adam has ever known is loneliness. So the temptation for him versus the temptation for Eve is very, very different. For Eve, the serpent tempts her to not trust God and to eat of the fruit. Get this. Adam is standing there while Eve is being tempted and says nothing. And does nothing. Get this. Every single married person in the room should know what the enemy is saying to your spouse. If you're married in the room, I need you to know the top three deceptions that the enemy has on repeat for your spouse. Your job is not to fix them. But your job is to be an echo of God's truth in that person's life. Your job is to be like my friend Brian in their life. Your job is to not echo what the enemy is saying, but to echo what God is saying. Now get this. For Eve, the issue here is she wants the fruit. But for Adam, he doesn't want to be alone again. So he's got a decision to make. I can either tell on you, because that would have been a great option. She eats, and Adam just goes, God. Hey, God, God, where you at? Where you at? Where you at? Hey, 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 hey. Uh, she wildin'. She wildin'. She ate. She ate the fruit. She did it. She... Uh, get me out of here. Get, get me out of here. Kick her out the garden. Do something, okay? <laughs> but he's been so traumatized by loneliness that he'd rather be with her in her sin 
than alone again and obey God. There's a lot of us, you think you're in love with someone. I'm here to tell you, you're not in love. You've trauma bonded with that person. And you think that it's love. The issue is not that you're in love. The problem is that they get you. And sometimes if somebody gets you too much, they can't confront you or challenge you or help you to change. There's some people who you're like, mm -mm, you just offend me. It's not that they offend you. No, 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 no. You are seeing life through the filter of trauma. And so they don't handle you with their sensitive gloves. And now you don't want, oh, ooh, 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 ooh. here we go. You can either receive power from God or pity from God. But you can't receive both at the same time. And so often God will send people in your life not to comfort you in the middle of your trauma. Because guess what trauma does? It keeps you stuck. And there's a lot of us right now, you picked friends because your friends get you. Well, the problem is they get you because they're ratchet too. What? Get this. Here we go. Let me help you. All sin. This is why we have to get shame off of you, okay? All sin is humanity's desire to self-soothe pain. That's what sin is. Your desire to pacify yourself and get rid of your pain. There's a lot of us in the room, the reason that you date, you're a serial dater, the reason that you, oh boy, Holy Ghost is good. Here we go. Can I be vulnerable? I struggled in relationships with women all through high school, all through college, and, um, and, and every youth leader that I had, you know, no shade on them, <laughs> you know, every youth leader that I had always said, well, Manny, you know, you just got a lust issue, you know what I'm saying? We rebuke lust in Jesus' name. And, and then, and then uh, I, I got into my early 20s, and I finally went to therapy, and, and I forgave my father. And you want to know what happened when I forgave my dad who took me to a crack house when I was five, forgave my dad who never showed up to my basketball games, forgave my dad who was incarcerated for 18 years, forgave my dad who was in and out of the house, forgave my dad who just was not a good father. You want to know what happened when I forgave my dad? I was abstinent and pure for the three years following me forgiving my father, which meant I never had a lust issue. Lust was the symptom, the root of the problem is that I was using women as a way to validate and soothe the pain of the trauma of not having a man in my life to validate my manhood. I had a trauma problem, not a lust problem. And that's why we have to give a nuanced perspective about sin when we're in church because we'll call everything lust and I'm here to say maybe just maybe lust is what has happened as a result of you trying to self-medicate the trauma filter the trauma filter okay here we go last one 
Last one. Here we go. It's the sacrifice filter. This is where we all should be. Let's go back to Adam. Adam had a couple of choices. Choice number one, Eve has sinned. Choice number one, yo, God, get her, get her, get her. <laughs> I'm out, okay? He could, he could remove himself. Option number one, that was available to him. Option number two is what he actually did, which is join her in her sin. But guess what he also could have done? Guess what he should have done? At that point, he was still blameless. He was sinless, which meant that Adam could have died for his bride, Eve. And what the first Adam failed to do, the second Adam succeeded in doing. Jesus says, your sin is not my problem, but I've made it my responsibility. Because if I'm really going to be in a relationship that's healthy, then I've got to die to my pride and die to being right and die to my opinion and die to all of the stuff. If I'm not willing to sacrifice, then I'm not ready for a relationship. What is a real Jesus centered relationship a relationship where both people sacrifice I'm gonna say this last little tidbit and we're gonna pray pastor Robert was talking about you know living together last week and 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 can we go deeper on that one let's go deeper okay I've got tons of young adults who say well pastor Manny why would I commit to being in a marital relationship with somebody if I've never had sex with them. That's crazy, okay? And I say, guess what? The number one indicator of whether or not that person is gonna be a good sexual partner is not having sex with them. Guess what the number one indicator is? Whether or not they're a selfless person. And you don't need to have sex with somebody to figure out whether or not they're selfless. If the person is selfless, and you are selfless, then guess what? Y'all will have a phenomenal sex life. Y'all will figure it out as long as the person prioritizes you and you prioritize them and you die for them and they die for you and you serve them and they serve you. As long as both people come into a relationship going, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to die. I'll die. You can either be right or you can be in relationship. Actually, this is the very last thing I'm going to say. What makes the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so tricky? It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here, here's kind of the crux of, of what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil does. Is that before they ate of the tree of the knowledge... Come on, say that with me. The, the knowledge of good and evil, it means they did not have the knowledge of good and evil. So every time Adam and Eve came to anything, they had to say, God, is this good or is this evil? Hey, God, is this good or is this evil? Which meant they were dependent on God's perspective for everything they came into contact with. And isn't it like humans to say, I don't want to trust God for him to tell me whether or not this is good or this is evil. I want the knowledge of good and evil for myself so that I can determine whether or not something is good or whether or not something is evil. And, and here's my invitation today, is to put the, the fruit 
from the tree of knowledge and evil back on the tree. Say, you know what? Guess what? From now on, in any scenario, I'm going to go, God, I want your perspective on this. I need discernment. I need wisdom. God, I need your word. God, I need direction. God, I need you to tell me because my opinion has led me astray. I'm not objective. I've got a filter on my eyes. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want to ask you a question today. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? We want to make an invitation for you to come into a saving relationship with Jesus today. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? If you're, if you're in the room, maybe today was the first time you've been in church and you felt the power of shame melt away. and You feel like, man, this God is not out to catch me. He wants to cover me. Can I tell you the good news? Jesus died for you. He loves you. He knows every hair on your head. He, he wants to have a relationship with you. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you're not a Christian, but you want to be, can you just lift up your hand right where you are? You're not a Christian, but you want to be. Oh, I see your hand. I see your hand. You're not a Christian, but you want to be. Just lift up your hand. Just wave at me. Leave it up long enough for me to see it. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Come on. We're going to pray this prayer as a church. Come on. All together. Can we repeat after me? Jesus, thank you for loving me. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are Lord, that you died on the cross, you rose from the dead, and you're coming back one day. I declare I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. I give you my life today. I surrender and I accept your grace. Oh, come on. If you prayed that prayer today for the very first time, we're so proud of you. Come on. We're so proud of you. We're so proud of you. Come on. Let's pray. God, we thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice. God, we ask that our relationships wouldn't be defined by an insecurity filter or a trauma filter. That our relationships wouldn't be defined by any negative filter but God that we would sacrifice for one another that you would bind us together with cords of love that can't be broken as a church in our friendships in our marriages in our relationships God we ask that you would do what only you could do in Jesus name we pray amen